Hello everyone. Welcome to podcast number 3 in the Bible Prophecy Masterclass, part 3, in which we are conducting a series of random but thorough studies of the entire book of the Revelation. In our last show, we covered World War III and the death of one quarter of the world's population. Today, we will pick up where we left off, with chapter 6, verses 9 to 11 and the concluding verses, covering the newly saved saints and their plea for restitution for their deaths and a kind of cameo appearance by an angry lamb that sends the world of rebel men scurrying at the sight of him. The text which is the basis for this study is Judgment Day, Volume 3, Armageddon, Acts of God vs. Gods of Earth, written by Mr. Alvin Mitchell. I, Liam, will be your affable narrator and host. Please join me in a word of prayer and praise to God the Almighty for granting us this opportunity to delve into His Word, and for giving us these awe-inspiring warnings and powerful insights into His awesome plans for the future of mankind and of the world as we know it. Let us pray also for blessing upon the study and upon all who make time to join in and to listen. Seal number 5, Interlude Oddly, it might safely be argued that the period known as the Apocalypse is in finale not so much a matter of punishment of the wicked. Rather, it is at the very least equally as much a matter of a heavenly shaking of the proverbial sugar tree. Until the moment of the rapture, it will have been the church's responsibility to win souls and reign in the lost, warning them of the judgment to come. The church, however, will have then as it has now, failed miserably. Of perhaps billions ready for the harvest, God will not be able to conduct an effective outreach based upon the efforts and work of the local churches. Many, even at this hour, simply do not believe in either God or His methods, i.e., His demands and calls for lives of obedience and repentance. From the point of the rapture on, His only recourse will be the use of unbridled horror to shake things up, so as to open eyes which could not be opened by conventional preaching of the gospel because there will be none. The sight of man's absolute inhumanity to men, his hopeless inability to govern and rule himself without incessant bloodshed and gore, will be sufficient to drive in this first mega-harvest of precious souls all of whom will be murdered well in advance of the midpoint of the last seven years before the return of Christ. Unleashing, or, loosening the leash of the devil so that he can operate to a much greater degree in the affairs of men will be necessary and required to jar the remaining unsaved but savable from the roots of their stubborn unbelief, 3.5 years prior to the Battle of Armageddon, the midpoint of the last seven. The awe-inspiring events of each of these scenarios will be responsible for having driven multitudes to their knees the last being led by the 144,000. Tribulation Christian Murders, Wave Number 1 The scene changes and the action ceases as the Lamb of God peels away the fifth seal, to reveal the fifth mystery written within the scroll. It appears that the events of these first four seals represent the passage of a fair amount of time, clearly this time is not part of the seven last years, as will be seen later in the three woes, and in the Lord's comments here, relatively speaking, since the first seal was opened, how much time, however, is not at all clear, one will therefore arbitrarily assume roughly one quarter of the apocalyptic period, at least. The presence of the souls of deceased saints under the altar, for their deaths will be precious in his eyes Psalm 116, and their conversation with the Lamb, who is Lord of all, is on the other hand in itself revealing, this suggests quite handily, that upon dying, the saints contrary to current evangelical teaching do not automatically go directly into the literal presence of God, rather, they are in
paradise, the abode and temporary place of the righteous dead, as they await something. Akin to the Bema seat, judgment where all pre-trib saints will appear Luke 23 43, John 20 verse 17. These people represent the first wave of saints to be slaughtered following God's merciless smashing of the U.S., followed hard by the crushing demise of the military might of the Russians, the EU, and the armies of the Muslim world, all of which will foment and facilitate the transfer of their power and wealth into the hands of the Jews. There will be no experienced, seasoned Christians from before the beginning of the Apocalypse, as none will be brought over into this hellish time on earth, this, per God's promise through the Apostle Paul, recorded in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9. They will all be raptured, as they are all represented before John by the twenty-four elders, being in heaven around the throne, Revelation 5 verses 8 to 10, encircling the Father, the Son, who is the Lamb, and the Spirit, whose omnipresence is portrayed as being sevenfold. Thus, the Christians appearing on earth after seal number one are all both born again and murdered during the tribulation. Which again, begs the question, who are they, and how will they be saved, without a seasoned preacher, if only the left-behind church rejects remain? As was the case during Martin Luther's day, when there were no seasoned, veteran Christian churches as such to lead the Protestants to the level of knowledge and understanding they sought, all were Roman Catholics, more or less, yet the church splintered and fractured, yes by the will of God was able to rebirth itself out of and separate from its Catholic cocoon, where it lay dead, for one thousand years, or so, so likewise it is not the least inconceivable that certain key individuals left behind. Perhaps those whom the churches could save now, if they would do their jobs, will be able to recognize immediately what has happened, why, and, drawing on what they know already, using Bibles they have on hand, of which there will likely be plenty, piece together enough information so as to rapidly grow their ranks, thereby saving themselves, and others, if not their families. The preachers then, will most probably have to come from within the rank and file of these, soft unbelievers. Worthy of note, moreover, is the fact that being the literary and fascinating read that it is, many an unbeliever has read and is thoroughly acquainted with the Bible, as much or more so than the average believer, although they currently don't believe a word. These would be a prime and ready source, fit for the master's use. It will take more time, more pressure, and the evangelistic ministry of the 144,000 to jar the hard unbelievers loose from their otherwise unshakable moorings in diehard, relentless unbelief, in so many words, without all hell literally breaking loose, visibly, all around them, there would be absolutely no way to reach this group with the gospel, with ordinary preaching. Now that a fresh, first harvest of new tribulation souls has been garnered, several things are confirmed, one, a fair amount of time has passed between the tribulation's beginning and the death of these Christians, two, there has been an intense amount of evangelistic activity, though none has been mentioned thus far, three, the tribulation will be an extremely deadly and dangerous time in which to declare one's faith in Jesus Christ, all who dare do so, will do it literally at the peril of his own life. No saint born again during those dark days will live long enough to make it through that entire period. There will be no Holy Spirit of God to prompt any kind of moral authority, to promote concern and or agendas that protect the rights of saints to worship as they see fit. There will be no tolerance for their presence, nor will there be any allowance for even the slightest of representations that point to the true and living God, thus, Christians and Jews even Israelis who are yet unbelievers and unsaved will be universally insufferable. 
although the devil will still be on a leash and therefore limited in terms of what he can do and how far he can go, there will be no Holy Spirit of God present during this time to restrain the diabolical, satanically directed activity aimed at ridding the earth of any vestige of God, his presence will be in heaven, alongside the saints, around the throne of the Father, if not within them to impart the righteousness needed to abide the presence of Almighty God. Paul, in 2 Thessalonians 2, has shown that whereas this evil presence, the mystery of iniquity, due to its roots and origin in Satan himself, has been or, will have been chomping at the bit for millennia, he will not be able to break free to do his worst until the Holy Spirit's own sevenfold presence is removed from the earth. When he is removed, called home with the rapture of the church, before the apocalypse begins, then, Satan, with restraints, will be free to work. He will do so beginning at the fall of Babylon the Great, and at the fall of Magog, or Russia. He will continue here through the Antichrist figure on the white horse, shifting the full force of his alliance to the Antichrist persona in the beast, following the beast's prior deadly, mortal combat with God's two witnesses, this son of perdition will be able to affect illusions that deceive people into believing that he is God through exhibitions of supernatural power, signs, and awe-inspiring acts and feats of wonder designed to mislead. All the wayward, backslidden churches who refuse to submit themselves to the word and will of God before the tribulation, will be snared, and engulfed with no way out by this satanic activity, because they would not receive the love of the truth, so that they could have been saved, 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 11 and 12. It is no doubt from within their ranks that the most effective and prolific of the false Christs and the false prophets, about whom Jesus warned, will come both here and during the rule of the beast. God will even assist in their spiritual demise by sending a stronger inclination to seek out and believe in spiritual, spiritless lies. In so doing, he will seal and solidify their already irreversible condemnation to the pits of hell, or Hades. The high point of their condemnation will be consignment to an eternity in the lake of fire and sulfur, the apparent implication is such that God will literally lock them out of any prospect of a future conversion, even when the opportunity is presented to them, either here or, during the ministry of the 144,000, to come, therefore, it is highly unlikely any of these lost church people will be among those saved during the apocalypse. With the full assistance of these, and under the hellish leadership of the devil himself, the world will be determined to see to it that God never again gains any kind of a foothold in their midst. Thus, a climate of absolute intolerance will be created into which, and in spite of which all new Christians will be born again, only to lose their physical lives owing to the dominance and prevalence of overwhelming, unbridled anti-God, antichrist sentiment, for a time, at some point during the second half of the last seven years. Perhaps during the last quarter of the seven years impossible to say with any certainty none will repent, by virtue of the mark and worship of the beast. After some point, there will be no more converts, and all who are converted will have been killed, as soon as the beast arises and declares that he is God, well ahead of the bold judgments. The deaths of perhaps four to five billion new saints will be occasioned during the period beginning with the collapse of Babylon to the beginning of the bold judgments midpoint of the last seven years of time. Thus, the hostile among unbelieving humanity will resolve the problem of a potential Christian resurgence by nipping it in the bud. There can be little doubt as but that the wayward, left-behind churches will be highly instrumental in this untoward, bloody endeavor, Matthew chapter 24, verses 11. 23-24. How long, voices of the martyrs? Verse 9 And when he had opened the fifth seal, 
I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God, and for the testimony which they held. Verse 10 And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, do you not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Verse 11 And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them, that they should rest yet for a little season, until their fellow servants also and their brethren, that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. And so, listening now with John in 6 9, we hear these tribulation saints as they implore of the Lamb, the one who is holy and true, how long will it be Lord, before you take the world to task for the malicious shedding of our blood, their lives having been snuffed out as they were slaughtered and murdered for their faith. Two things occur in answer to their query, one, these tribulation saints are comforted with the assurance of their right standing in the eyes of God, through the impartation of white robes always symbolic of the righteousness of Christ, and two, they are given the assurance that they are not the only ones, as there are more saints to come, a second wave of systematic killings, if you please, who will be murdered as they were, for their faith, for this cause they are asked to be patient, as it will be over shortly. This latter assertion by the Lord pretty much lays to rest any question as to whether this might be the middle of the tribulation era, as during the second half of that seven-year period after a certain, specifically, unspecified juncture no one will repent despite the severity of God's judgment, hence, none will be saved, so that there will be no saints to be martyred, except for the Jews, who will not believe until Christ returns, all will have been killed before Armageddon and the Lord's. Triumphant Return Furthermore, tracking down and rounding up hundreds of millions of Christians still scattered all over the earth would take considerable time and effort, there will be precious little time, at this stage, given that at this point God's plan calls for a hastening of the pace to the end of time, due in large part, perhaps, to the dilapidated, uninhabitable condition of the earth, brought on by all the judgments, seal and trumpets, but rounded out by the bold judgments. See Matthew 24 verses 15 to 22. Also, this, among other things, should prove as well that the remaining groups of seven judgments are not repetitions of these sealed judgments, or of each other. Seal number 6, Day of the Lord and the Angry Lamb. Verse 12 And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and, lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Verse 13 And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casts her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Verse 14 And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. When the Lamb stripped away the sixth seal, John experienced a huge earthquake. The sun was blackened to the point where its appearance resembled that of sackcloth, the moon turned red, the stars fell from heaven like pre-ripened figs. Heaven itself rolled up like a scroll, while all the mountains and islands were displaced. By and large, of course, this is figurative language from Old Testament prophecy used and always meant to convey a dreadful state of being, an urgent sense of doom and gloom, fearful hopelessness, a time of trembling, desperation, anxiety and uncertainty always associated with the day of the Lord, and His anger expressed and poured out upon men. Having rebounded well from the rude awakening forced upon them by the drubbing and humiliation God administered to the armies of the Russians, the European Union and the Arab nations in Israel, some years earlier the pre-apocalyptic church, us, and Holy Spirit now in heaven, 
widespread satanic activity having now claimed the lives of multitudes comprising the first of two major waves of saints born during the early days of the apocalyptic era the world is once more brought to a standstill in horrified recognition of the hand of God in their plight. The day of the Lord, long promised, apparently tardy by men's standard capstone of which is the physical return of Christ is finally, undeniably well within view. It has not quite arrived, but is an obvious possible reality at which skeptical mankind can no longer thumb their noses. Verse 15 And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every freeman, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. Verse 16 And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. Verse 17 For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? God is not impressed with, nor is he the least bit intimidated by the socio-economic status of the rich and famous, the high-minded or the high and mighty the achievers and overachievers of our day. To him, they, having for so long rejected both him and all the evidences that point to his reality and the confirmation of his written word to men, amount to nothing more than, ignoramuses among the intellectual, Psalm 53 verse 1. All the kings of the earth, heads of state, all the important-slash-famous people, wealthy folk, military chiefs, the strong and the weak, slaves and free men, everyone will frantically seek shelter for themselves in the dens and rocks, or just wherever they can find it, hoping for even a face-to-face -face encounter with death just to avoid the unavoidable, in what they must now face as terrifying reality, the face of him who sits upon the throne, coupled with the sore displeasure and wrath of the Lamb. Heretofore spurned by the church and the world, the chief cornerstone long despised and rejected by builders in every walk of life. Without question, God for them is now no more a theological myth. The great day of his expressed anger has arrived, and who is going to be able to stand in it, they wonder, theme to a tune destined to change, when Satan resurrects and introduces his counterfeit God, in 13:1. from this day forward, the world will ever be anxiously awaiting and looking for that special, hellish, someone. Even God cannot make war with him, they will think and chant, with a sigh of relief. And yet, for that, fool who insists in his heart, there is no God, Psalm 14 verse 1. 53:1 His nightmare has only just begun. It is this appearance of Christ, which will, as it were, momentarily stay the killing spree instigated out of desperation among the nations, and introduced here in the revelation by the rider on the white horse. At this point, for the time being, the slaughter of the soft unbelievers turned faithful is complete. Over 1,000, 500 years after the Roman Catholics killed off the last of the early churches, replacing it with their own perverted view of God and the Christ, the knowledge of God has once more been wiped out from the earth by hellish concerns. The stage must now be set so that the way is paved for the saving of the hard unbelievers. These are prone not to believe anything theological without the application of excruciating pressure upon the path leading to the front doors of their souls, stripping stability from under their feet, leaving them battered, shaken to the very core of their being, but, no less saved and in right standing with their Maker. All right, ladies and gentlemen. That concludes this podcast segment in the Bible Prophecy Masterclass, Part 3. 
Please do plan to join us next time as we move on to chapter 7 of the book of the Revelation where God reveals his plan to save the souls of perhaps billions of sinners throughout the most trying of times, leading up to the coming of the beast, aka, the Antichrist. Until our next meeting, may the good Lord bless and keep you.